Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. Hey, welcome, welcome. Go ahead, find your seats. Great to see everybody this morning. Welcome to church. Do me, do me, uh, do me a favor here. Turn to somebody around you and say, you look like you need some church. Okay, you can continue that fight after church. Let's just, uh, let's just get going here. But welcome. Welcome to church. A great place to be today. Sunday is most definitely my favorite day of the week, getting to be here with you guys. And we're in Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And we've been in this series called Made Known, looking at the book of Ephesians. And again, just a reminder, uh, the book of Ephesians was written by a man named Paul. Now, all of the Bible was authored by God, but written by man as God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired them to write things down. Well, Paul's one of the writers. Uh, there's about 40-ish writers over a 1,500-year span of time that wrote the Bible. And the book of Ephesians is specifically written to a group, a new church, a new group of believers, and he's making known what it really means to be a Christian. Like when you hear something brand new, you're like, well, what is that? What does that mean? I don't know. What is this supposed to mean? Well, Paul's making that, making that known and explaining it. And we've been going through this. We're going to read some verses, and then we're just going to kind of talk about it. Read some verses, kind of unpack what those are. So Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 11. And before we do, I'm super excited about this one, because I think this, 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 this message this morning is going to answer some questions I think this message this morning is going to give some peace to some people who have needed it. So here we go. Verse 11. Now, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have the boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Hey, this is how we access God the Father. It's through what Jesus did is what he's talking about. Verse 13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you which is your glory. He says, don't lose heart in my tribulation. Now, I just want to stop here for just a second. So it's going to be a lot of seconds. Okay, but he says, don't lose heart in my tribulation. And what he's talking about is, is affliction, troubles, trials. But he says, hey, hey, don't lose heart. But when, when do you? He's like, when things are going really bad, don't. Don't lose heart. And you're like, well, how bad might it have been going? Well, he actually tells us. Paul also, again, um, wrote more, I would say half of the New Testament. And in 2 Corinthians, he kind of unpacks some of the tribulations that he's been through. And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 11.23. These are the things that he's telling them. Hey, don't lose heart that I've had this. Don't lose heart because of this. And this is what we have, 2 Corinthians 11, and we're going to start with verse 23. He says, are they servants of Christ? He's talking about some other apostles. He says, I am speaking like I am out of my mind, but I am much more than they are, he says. He says, in harder labor, in more imprisonments, in worse beatings, in frequent danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day on the open sea. I'm frequent, 
journeys, I've been in danger from rivers, dangers of bandits, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger amongst false brethren. He says, in labors and toils, often without sleep, in hunger and thirst, and often without food, and in the cold and exposure. He says, apart from these external trials, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the church. He lists some stuff there, doesn't he? He's like, hey, and and like imprisonments. He just like throws that one in there. I'd be talking about that one. He's like, no, just imprisons more often. Yep, I get thrown in prison. He says, more often than the rest of these guys. And he's like, hey, all of that, the beatings, the 40 lashes minus one. Why is it minus one? Because Jews, the punishment was 39 lashes because they said 40 could kill you. So we'll just do 39. Now, when you think about Jesus' crucifixion, remember this, that the Romans did not have that same thing. So when they would beat you, there was no, there was no limit to the lashes that you could receive. So he says, 39, 40 minus 1 from the Jews. He's like, oh, yeah, I've had that over and over three times. He's beaten with rods. Three times he was shipwrecked. Like, I don't know if I'd get on another ship. Like, I crashed one. I didn't crash it. Like, it sunk. We sunk a ship in Lake Michigan when I was a kid. And we get to go back out there, and you're like, you think of it just a little bit differently. Like, and how cold is the water? Because I remember, I was a little kid in the ship, the boat that we were on, this big boat. We're out there fishing, starts to sink, and my dad puts a life jacket on me and is like, grabs me and goes, swim, and throws me overboard in April into Lake Michigan. And I, in my mind, who's seen a ship or a big boat sink on TV or in a movie? What happens? There's a vortex and it sucks everything down. That's what's happening in my mind. And I'm like, I'm swimming. Anyways, that happened to me once. This this happens to Paul. Paul's like, it's just just normal. Three ship times I was shipwrecked. I'm stuck floating out sea at sea. Have you ever been on Lake Michigan when you can't see shore? Just Lake Michigan. You go out on the big ocean, you go deep sea fishing, and you're out there. You can't see shore. It feels different. Now take away the boat and you're just floating. This is Paul. Over and over and over. He's like, all of this I've been through. And he's like, and just, just don't, don't lose heart. If you don't lose heart, then when do you? Like, right? Like, like when do you? So this is what he's talking about. He says, my, don't lose heart at my tribulation. Don't lose heart at what I've been through. And that can seem a little bit like just like anecdotal, you know what I mean? Where you're like, that's easy for you, but how do I apply this to my life? To look at him, and you can just be like, Paul, you're the man, like Navy SEAL, super, super Christian boy, like super church boy, you're awesome, like you got this. But how do we apply that to our life? And understand this, um, as we apply this to our life, What this means and what we need to take away from this, here's here's the big takeaway, and that's this. You cannot tell. Your circumstances do not show you God's love. Your circumstances are not the litmus test of is God pleased with you or not. But most of us, we kind of automatically go there. We go to this situation where we're like, um, if, if bad things happen, it's because I probably deserve it and I did this bad thing or maybe I didn't pray enough or there was that thing that I was supposed to do that I didn't do and that's why this happened. 
Or we think, well, why didn't I get that promotion? And we're like, well, you know, okay, well, somebody else deserved it more, or I this, or, or I had this thing in, in, in my life over here. We, we come up with reasons. But I want to say this, please, 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 do not be like the Maltese. You have no idea who the Maltese are. Good. Let me explain that. Acts 28. In Acts 28, um, Paul, the same guy that wrote Ephesians, was on a ship. And this is one of those shipwrecks that he was in. If Paul gets on a ship, just get off. Just, just get off. You're like, anybody say, Paul, I'm getting off this thing. So he's out, and God, an angel comes and says, hey, you will survive this, but everybody needs to stay on the boat. And anybody that leaves is going to die. So Paul's like, hey, an angel of the Lord appeared to me. We're going to make this. We're going to make it out of this. It's been crazy. The crew's already thrown everything, all the tackle overboard. They've thrown all the cargo overboard. They've thrown everything. They're like, we don't know what's going on. Are we going to make it? Paul stands up. He's like, we're going to make it. And the, the boat falls apart, but they grab pieces of the ship, and they all go to shore, and they land on an island, the island of Malta. And we're going to pick up Acts chapter 28. Verse 3, so they've landed on this island, and as Paul is gathering an armful of sticks, and he was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake was driven out by the heat and bit him on the hand. Now, when the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand, they said to each other, oh, he's a murderer, no doubt. Like, wait a second, why? Well, they keep going. Because though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. They're like, wait a second. Um, he must be bad because bad things are happening to him. Like, yay. Like, but this is, a, this, this is what this This is a picture of the roller coaster that you will live on if you assume that every good thing that ever happened, like you get a parking space and you're like, God loves me. This is wonderful. And then all of a sudden, the end of the month comes, and there's more month than money, and you're like, oh, oh no, God, what did I do? You, you spent your money foolishly. You're like, no, no, God, what's going on? So the, the, the Maltese, they looked at Paul, and they're like, oh, no, he must be a murderer. He's not going to be permitted to live. Verse 5, but Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. Now the people waited for him to swell up. Or suddenly drop dead. Now, any people watchers in here? Like you just like you just like you go to a crowd and you just watch people. Oh, I love it. Well, there were, I think we had some people watchers, and they're like, "Hey, this guy here, he got bit. Watch, he's, he's gonna die." They're just watching. They're just waiting for Paul to die. They're like, "He got bit. We think he's a murderer. Yeah, we don't know exactly. I'm pretty sure. But she said, and he's a, he's a murder, murderer. He's, he's gonna let's watch him die." So they're just waiting. And they're watching Paul. They're watching Paul. And it says this in verse six. Now the people waited for him to swell up and suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. <laughs> but this is a roller coaster. This is a roller coaster that we will go on if we follow our circumstances and use our circumstances to decide, well, does God love me? Does he not? Like, is it raining outside? Okay, it's a good day. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, it's snowing. You're Jason. Your whole world just fell apart because it's snowing. You hate snow. It's cold. But if we use... If we use circumstances, then that is exactly what will happen. We will live on a roller coaster of, oh, is it good? God loves me. Oh, he doesn't. Something bad happened. Oh, something good happened. Oh, something bad happened. But that's not the case. You know, Revelation says this. Revelation chapter 21. It lays out what heaven will be 
And it says in verse 3, I heard in a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people, and he will live with them. This is heaven. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. Um, that's heaven. But that's not today. That is not today. And if you were told, come to Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, you were lied to. <laughs> um, you were lied to. Like, are you sure? Yes. John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you all these things so that you may have peace in me. Now, here on earth, this is what he says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Here's what I know. You cannot pray so much, know so much scripture, that you avoid trouble. And you're like, man, I came here to get built up. Do you have anything positive to say? Yes, I am positive. You're going to have some trouble. Okay? I am positive. Because understand this, Jesus lived an absolute perfect life, right? He came, did everything right. He dealt with his brothers right. He dealt with his mom perfectly. He did everything right. And they killed him for it. They hated Jesus. He did nothing wrong, and they killed him. Any of you ever done anything wrong? Raise your hand. I could, I, yes, absolutely, I have. We're, we're going to make mistakes. Now, sometimes we reap, and I hate when this happens. I hate when I, when I have to just reap the consequences of my own actions. Anybody else? You're just like, mm, I hate that. Like, I, I, don't, I do not like that. Anybody make a bad investment? Like, you thought you were going to retire at 45. This was going to be it and the thing. It's all going to work out. I've been there, done. Like, this is, it didn't work. It did not work. It was, it was bad. It was bad. Anybody ate some bad chicken? Ever eaten some bad chicken? And you're like, it was bad. It was bad. I didn't eat that bad chicken. Oh, God, what did I do wrong? Forgive me. Oh, that chicken. No. But, and it's kind of funny, but the thing is, is we often, we do that in our lives where we run up against something. And we're like, wait, this is hard, so God must not be in it. Or somebody else or culture or our friend group suddenly comes around us and they're like, we don't think you should be doing that. Why would you take time off of work to go do this little thing over here? You know, wait, wait, wait a minute. You're doing what for your church? Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you give? Why would you, why would you volunteer? Well, we don't think you should do that. There's, op, there's this opportunity over here. There's going to be times and there's going to be people. What do you mean that so-and-so can't live that way? That's their life. Who are you to say something? Are you judging? You're like, yeah. Yeah, I am. And that's wrong. Like, it's obvious. I don't care what you think. Two plus two is not six. It's not. It's four. And you can want it to be any number you want it to be, but it's four. And what we do is, here's what we do, is we need to remember and realize. And here's what we do is we build our house. We build our life on God's word. We need to know what God's word has to say. And then we pray and obey. And the world might come against you. And you might lose some friends. You might not get invited somewhere. You might not get a contract because they realize that your company is Christian and you stand for this. And like, no, we don't want that. And you're like, wait a second. God, am I doing something wrong? And he's like, no, you're doing something right. He said, if they hated me, surely they're going to hate you, Jesus said. 
But if we just, if we jump on that roller coaster of circumstances, and if things are going good, God loves me, but if they're not, then he doesn't, it will be crazy. God, what do I do here? Oh, it's wonderful. No, it's not working. Man, don't do it. God calls us to some hard things. And he might call you to some hard things. You might have to stand up to some aunts, some uncles, some people in your family and say, I disagree and here's why. You might have to stand up. I want to read a story I came across. Um, the story of John. John was born in 1755. His father died when he was very young. At 11, he was sent to live with his older sister. I want to read a little bit of his story. It says, by the time that John was 13, he'd mastered the violin and French horn and was hired to play events all over the city of Charleston. One evening, while he and a friend were on their way to play at an event, John noticed a large crowd at a meeting house with a crazy man hollowing there. The crazy man was Reverend George Whitfield. He was preaching at one of his many meetings in the First Great Awakening. Now, John's friend wanted to disrupt the gathering and dared John to take his French horn and blow among them. John accepted the challenge. While raising the horn to his lips and preparing to blow, Whitfield suddenly looked up at John, pointed his finger at him, and announced, Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. John immediately fell prostrate as though he was struck down and remaining motionless there for about a half an hour. John was taken to his sister's house where he remained ill for three days. On the fourth day, the minister arrived, and seeing that John was afflicted, he took John's hands in his and began to pray. After the prayer, he asked John, how do you feel? John told him he felt worse. <laughs> so the minister reasoned that they should pray again. And John felt even worse and wondered if the preacher was trying to kill him. <laughs> the minister said they should pray a third time, and this time John became very well and happy. John became extremely passionate about his new faith and wanted his family to share in the experience with him, but they became hostile and began to persecute him. By his own testimony, they called me every name except that which was good. So John, at 13, fled to the woods where he met a Cherokee warrior, and the two spent the next 10 weeks hunting together and became good friends. And John also learned to speak Cherokee. When they returned to the Indians' camp, John was made a prisoner, however, and was sentenced to death. Cherokee law demanded that any outsider to enter the camp be killed. They explained to him in detail how he would die. An executioner showed him a basket full of turpentine wood stuck full of small pieces like skewers. And they told him that he would be stripped naked, laid down in the basket, that these pegs were to be stuck into me and then set on fire. And when they had burnt my body, I was to be turned over to the other side and served in the same manner. And then to be taken by four men and thrown into the flame, which was to be the finish of the execution. When the Cherokee seized John to execute him, John fell to his knees and began to pray and praise God in the Cherokee language. His prayers had a dramatic effect. The executioner, the judge, and finally the chief came to believe in Jesus. That's a roller coaster 
of a story. You're like, holy cow, dad dies, and you get sent to your sisters, and you're over here, and you, and you learn all these instruments, and you can speak, and that's wonderful, and now you have a crazy encounter with God. You fall down, and they pray for you, and you get worse, and I'm like, I can, I've had that, so I really like that part of the story, but then it gets better, and you're like, oh, okay, yep, and now it's better, and okay, but now your family hates you, and so you run away at 10, and you live with a Cherokee warrior for 10 weeks. That part sounds really good to me, too. Like, part of me, like, oh, that is so awesome, and you're like, oh, that's so great, and you're like, oh, this is so good, and things going great and thank you Jesus and then you go back to the Cherokee you go back to his village and they're like we're gonna kill you and you're like what did I do and they're like that's our law like you gotta die and they're like what and like yep and this is how we're gonna do it and they lay it all out and you're like oh and then they come to kill you and all you have left to do is to pray and praise God and then God uses that ah <sighs> he's 13 <laughs> If we allow the ups and downs that we have to pull us away from God, if we sit and question, well, I'm having a bad day, and, and I don't know what yours may be. Someone may leave. You may have been hurt. Things have done to you that shouldn't be done. I don't know. But if we use that as the litman says of God does, God, does God love me? Is God good? You will fall short, and you will live this absolute roller coaster. Instead, what we need to do is we need to know God's word, we need to pray, and then we obey. And we trust God with the outcome. We trust God with the outcome. There will be good days and there will be bad. Sometimes bad things happen and it's the consequences of our own action. Sometimes we don't really have a way to explain it. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said this in Luke chapter 13, verse 4. And he says, and what about the eight people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Now, apparently there was some construction going on, and an accident happened. And eight men died. And Jesus asked, he said, were they worse sinners? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? And then Jesus answers his own question. He's like, no, no. We live in a foreign, fallen world, and when Jesus comes back, yeah, he's going to wipe away every tear. There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow. That's going to end, but he's not back yet. There's a cost to following Jesus. I hope that you did not sign up for healthy, wealthy, and wise, because that's not what following Jesus is. Jesus is talking to a large crowd. It says this in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And then he says this, but don't begin until you count the cost. He's like, look, there's a cost to following me. He's like, yes, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be set free. You're going to be forgiven. You're going to understand this. There's going to be some opposition. God might call you to do some really, really hard things. And my prayer is that you don't encounter difficulty and turn around. My prayer is that you do not allow the path of least resistance to be your every answer to prayer. Well, this is easy, so this must be God. Oh, God's opening a door, so I just must walk through it. Like, 
No, just because I'm at the store and the power goes out and I was about to pay and I'm next to the thing and the alarm probably won't go off and I can sneak out. Like, wait a second. No, that's not me assuming, well, God, you just made it easy for me to steal. Thank you. Like, I know I shouldn't do it. Like, I, I know. I know what this is. We do not assume that the path of least resistance is God leading. God might call some of you to do some hard things. Maybe to stand up to some family and be like, here's what God's word says. I love you, but the way that you're living, the Bible says, is wrong. It says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads in death. And I love you enough to tell you that I believe what you're doing is wrong. Who are you? Are you judging me? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I am. But I'm judging it by God's word and that standard. It might be a hard thing, and you might lose, you might lose some friends. You might have some people not like you on Facebook. You might lose a fiancé or a close relationship because you decide you're going to live for the one that died for you and that it's not going to be lip service, but you're going to stand up for what God's word says. You're going to have a pure life, and so you just tell your fiancé, you're like, we're not doing this. I know what we've done, but I'm done. And they say they'll leave. And so you just say, bye, and you wave and smile. And it might hurt. But the Bible says don't be unequally yoked together. And you're like, you know, we're, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to compromise. There can be a cost. There might be a cost. There's times where absolutely, yeah, God opens up doors and it's absolutely amazing. And you're like, man, God's just, it, it's happening. I've, I've had one time, I've had a check show up in the mail. And honestly, I think God just did it so that I would know he could. I was in Bible college. And I didn't make rent. I've never asked my parents for money. I was like, I ain't doing that. Man, this isn't good. And I went to the mailbox. One time, there was a check in there. It was just a little bit over rent, and I was like, this is awesome. You want to know what I did the next month? I went right back to the mailbox. I hate getting mail, but I was like, I'm going back to the mailbox. It didn't happen again. It didn't happen again. Not that way. And it's fun when things just line up. You're like, man, God, thank you for that. And I hope you experience that. Well, God just comes through. I remember we just questioning what we were doing. And Becca and I were praying about some steps that we were taking as a family and what we were supposed to do. And a friend just called me up out of the blue. And it's like, hey. And just spoke life into me. And just, it was, it, it was amazing. Like, hey, this is what's going on. And, and you need to know this. And we're praying for you. This is what we're feeling. If you ever need this, we're here. And, da, da, da. and I'm like, oh, thank you. That happens, but you know what happens as well? Sometimes we're doing hard things, and the people that we thought were close to us, they believe a lie, and they drift away, and we find ourselves alone because we're standing on God's word, and we're like, wait, and if that's you, and you're like, well, where's God right now? Let me just say this. He's, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's right there with you, and you might spend some time a little more alone. And I know what it's like to be in a room full of people and yet be completely alone. And you know it. I had some, when I was much, much younger, had some friends, and they started making bad choices. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And I remember I was in high school. This is one of the reasons I went into ministry, actually, is I was in high school. I was in the back of this room. It was full of people, and everybody in there probably knew my name, most of them. But I was just all by myself, and I'm like, I don't know anybody here. 
remember my youth pastor walked up to me. And he just walked over to me and he goes, Samuel. He goes, one of the things I love about you, he goes, is that it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. He's like, you don't change and you stand up for who God wants you to be. And he walked off. And I remember a switch that day flipped in me. A switch went from, I'm just standing here by myself because I'm just all by myself and because I don't know this person and they don't know whatever little reasons I had. But it switched in me and it went to, I'm standing here because I'm not going to compromise who I am and who God's created me to be. That's why. And the way I stood internally, maybe it didn't look anything different on the outside. I bet it did. But something switched in me. And my prayer this morning is that something switches in you. That you realize what it is that you're standing for. That things might come against you. People might say things that aren't nice. People that were once our friends and that were so close are now the ones that are wounding us because of how close we've let them be. But instead we realize what we're standing for. That we stand on God's word. We know what God's word has to say. We pray and then we obey. Because remember Jesus did everything perfect and they killed him for it. You know, as, as believers, heaven is where we're going. Heaven is where we're going. But we're in that in-between. And that can be some of the scariest place to be. But the thing I pray that you do not do is that you do not allow your circumstances to dictate how you feel, the good and the bad that's going to come. Because, let me just say, the waves are going to come. Sometimes you know exactly why it's some seeds that you've sown. There's seeds that I've sown. Sometimes it's just we're in a fallen world, and until Jesus comes and makes everything right, there's no politician that can fix it. There's no political party that can fix it. There's no relationship that can fix it. It's Jesus. And until he comes back, he's the only perfect king. He's the only one. And until he comes back, there's going to be issues. There's going to be death and destruction. We're going to lose people that we love. And we're going to love people that are lost and they're not going to come back. But we keep loving and praying, knowing that God is good. We keep loving and praying, knowing God is good. I don't know if, who's ever been lost before? Raise your hand if you've ever been lost. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever been like, I might not get out of here lost, like I might die out here, okay, okay. Like, that's not a fun place to be when you're lost and you're like, I don't even, like, I have to know somewhat where I am to get out of where I am to be found because I'm, I'm lost, lost, lost. And you're like, this is not good. Um, I have no clue. Uh, years ago, we were doing a race. We were in Arkansas. And we were doing this race, and it's not like you run a course. It's like you find points in the mountains using... Uh, topographical maps and a compass. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and we were lost. We had no clue where we were. We'd been, we'd been going for like 14, 15 hours at this point, and we're looking at our map, we're looking at our compass, and literally all we knew is one of us, uh, one of us had an altimeter. And we're like, uh, we're somewhere on one of these 7,000-foot topographical lines. Like, we, we do not know where we are. And we're moving. And we're like, we got to go somewhere because we can't just stay here. And so we get on this path, and we start going down this path, which is really fun. We're on our bikes, 
And, and we're looking at this map. I remember one of the times we look at the map, my brother, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, and he falls asleep and falls over. <laughs> I'm like, wake up, Josh, wake up. He's like, oh, yeah, what's up? Where are we going? Like, we're going to start going downhill. He's like, okay. And he's like, oh, that's neat. And he starts, he starts hallucinating and seeing laundry in the trees. He always saw laundry. I'm like, you're weird. But anyways, so we're heading down this hill. And if you're, on, if you're going down a hill on a bike, it's just fun, right? You're like, downhill? This is, this is good. But the further down this mountain we go, we don't know where we're going. And so in me, I'm like, I'm not going back up this. <laughs> and we go further and further. And we spend about a half an hour working our way down this mountain, maybe even longer. And I'm like, if this is the wrong direction, and then all of a sudden as we're, as we're going down this mountain, we're like, hey, is that a light? We're like, yeah, we think we see a light up ahead. And we're like... We have no idea what it is. Like, is this, this some backwoods, Arkansas, like, still, and they're making something out there, and we're going to come up, and they're be like, what are you doing there? Like, we have no idea where we're going, but we're like, someone's going to know something, because there's a light. Like, let's go to the light. So we go down, we get all the way to the bottom, and we get to where this light's at. And, and we pull in, and it's this little tent, and we're like, hey, and they look at us and like, hey, you guys are doing great, and they're part of our race. And we're like, we're doing great. They're like, yeah. You're like, I think we're the first or the second team there. And we look at each other. We're like, we're doing, we're doing good. And they're like, yeah. We're like, we're doing good, guys. And like, oh, the energy that came back. We went from, like, do we have to go back up that? Where are we? Josh is falling asleep and seeing laundry, and we don't know what's happening. Right? We're like, uh, to the minute we realized, hey, we're doing good. We had so much more energy, like I'm, night and day difference. We were like, awesome, but we don't want anybody else to find out where we are. Let's go. Turn off our life. Okay, are we good? Figure out where we're going next. And we're like, we're ready to go. And we just take off out of there. We were ready to go because we realized where we were and we were doing well. And if you're in something hard, I want you to realize where you are. I don't want you to wonder, well, does God love me, and why is this happening? We live in a fallen world. My heart, my desire for you is that you this morning, here's what you hear. You're right, you can be right where God wants you to be. God works all things for the good of those that love and serve him. Stop questioning where you are, turn to his word, know his word, pray, and obey. There might be some hard things that have happened. But I hope that this is your I know where I am moment. That you leave energized. You're like, yeah, there might be some hard things ahead, but God said he'd never leave me. He'd never forsake me. He has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he wants to use you. He wants to use you to make a difference today. Heaven, it's coming. It's going to be great. And one day you'll die or Jesus will come back, and we're going to experience that. But I don't know where you are today, but realize this. God can use you right where you are. Don't question, oh no, don't fall into the roller coaster of, oh, it's good, it's bad, he's gonna die, he's a murderer, he's a god, oh my goodness. Don't, don't fall into, does God love me? He doesn't, and this happened here, and oh, they said this bad thing about me, and oh no, no, I pray that you are rooted in God's love and in God's word, and that you realize he has a plan and a purpose for your life. There's some bad stuff that happens, there is a devil. Don't just accept it. Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. You resist the devil. Realize there's just some stuff. We're in a fallen world. But I pray that you know right where you are. If you have Jesus in your heart, you've made him the Lord of your life, 
then you have that. Each, each of you, you have that. The hard things that may happen, they may come, maybe you're in them, maybe you're not. You say, God, I'm gonna surrender to you. I pray that you leave energized and like, God, use me right where I am. I'm not gonna question this. Instead of that, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna know what your word has to say and I'm gonna obey. And you trust God with the results. I wanna close and in closing, I wanna pray. I'm gonna actually pray the exact prayer here. It's found in Ephesians chapter three. This is verse 14 that Paul prayed over this body that we've been learning about. And he says this in verse 15. He prays, so would you bow your heads? I'd like to pray for you. God, we come before you. And we just pray. And I ask that out of the riches of your glory, that you would strengthen us with your power through your spirit in our inner being. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And that being rooted and grounded in love, we will have power together with all of the saints to comprehend the length, the width, and height, and depth of your love for us, Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. To know you who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask, imagine, according to your power that is at work in us. To you be the glory in this church and in this body and in Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. One thing I want to ask before we dismiss is this. Is if you're here and you say, you know what? (laughs) I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life. I've been just doing this thing, running after this and that, but today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want him to be forgiven. I want to be set free. And then I want to know the plan and purpose that he has for me. I'd love the honor of praying with you. The Bible says if we ask for forgiveness, he's faithful and just to forgive. But we ask. It's a prayer that you can pray right there in your seat. I'd love the honor of praying with you. If that's you, at the count of three, I want you to lift your hands. And then we're going to pray together and you're going to be forgiven, set free, and on your way to heaven and walking out the plan and purpose he has for you. If that's you, get ready. One, lift it all the way up. One, two, three. Right out, lift up and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. That's me. Today is my day. Come on. All right, hands down. And would you guys bow your heads? Everybody in here, let's pray with those that lifted their hands. Just repeat after me. And if you lifted your hands as you say these words, Say them from your heart. God's going to meet you right in your seat. Everybody out loud, say, Jesus, forgive me and make me new. From now on, I'm yours. With all that I am, I'm going to serve you. I believe that you sent your son, that he came, lived, and died for me. He shed his blood for me. So today, I give you all I am. Come rule and reign in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. 
For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.